We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. We often talk about the importance of making connections and having relationships with those we lead. But consider this for a second. If you're connected to those you lead, even if they don't believe in your vision, they will support you and help you create a new one to get everybody on the same track. But on the other hand, they can believe in your vision, but if they don't feel connected or support you, they'll find a different person to follow with that same vision. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Jones with another episode of Seeing to Lead. And this episode is absolutely chock full of different ideas of leadership, but focuses on productivity. You see, in this episode, I speak with Naftali Hoff, who just published another book in the area of productivity. It's called Becoming the Productive Boss, Five Proven Steps to Leading High-Performing Teams. Have you thought about the idea that if you only had one hour a week to teach your subject to your students. What would you teach? What would you leave behind? You see, because busyness is not productivity. You don't want to be busy. As leaders, we want to be impactful. And we only do that by investing so much into the people that we serve that when we need to ask them for a withdrawal due to correcting them, or a criticism, it doesn't hurt the overall relationship so we can continue to help them succeed at a higher level than they thought possible. While managing expectations is incredibly important, this goes so much deeper than that. Naftali covers his productivity blueprint that is so powerful. It will help you become more productive and a better leader than you ever thought possible. I know that you're going to find a ton of value in this episode, so I have an ask for you. Take a moment right away and subscribe to the podcast, leave an honest rating and review, and share it so others can find value as well. Even better, share it on all your social media channels and tag me with your biggest takeaway. And make sure to follow up with Naftali Hoff after listening to him on this week's episode of Seeing to Lead. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it worth exploring. More time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students, and the increased engagement that comes along with it. Dedicated time for intervention. Overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But 
The implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that MyFlex Learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE. If you're new, you want to start slow. You definitely want to be building equity, spend a lot of time on relationships. Because again, when the relationships are strong, there's an openness, there's a receptivity. All the wisdom can pour forth after that. But if people feel that you're just there to stuff wisdom down their throat that they haven't solicited, they're not going to be open to it. And therefore, it really doesn't matter. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Naftali Hoff is a former school headmaster with a passion for performance, leadership, and productivity. This passion is exhibited in his current role as president and executive coach at Impactful Coaching. Naftali realizes that school leaders, teachers, and students alike need to become more productive, get really clear on their goals, increase engagement, and reduce stress. Naftali lives his core beliefs. He believes that coaching helps leaders examine their thoughts, challenge their limiting beliefs, and achieve breakthroughs, and that lifelong learning and skill acquisition is the recipe for success. Naftali has written multiple ebooks, Becoming the New Boss, The New Leader's Guide to Sustained Success, and just recently, the new release, Becoming the Productive Boss, Five Proven Steps to Leading High-Performing Teams. This is going to be a great conversation. I'm excited to speak with Naftali as we delve into how to excel at what we do while making time for what's important. Naftali, welcome to Seeing to Lead. Thank you so much, Chris. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because just on a, on a personal note, your book, Becoming the New Boss, was instrumental in, in some of my development as a leader. I remember picking it up and flipping through it and then reading it closely uh, as I was preparing for a new role as principal of a school. And actually, it was principal of this current school where I'm still at to this day. So while I haven't read your new book, The Productive Boss, it's on my reading list and I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about it today. So awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I actually, I don't know if I could, you could see it here because I, with the background, but that's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's that original book, Becoming the New Boss. And it's so interesting. I'm glad by the way that we clarified that these are actual books because I know in the intro we talked about ebooks, but I happen to have a bunch of ebooks that people could download for free on my website too. But coming back to this for the moment, this book, Becoming the New Boss, 
people ask me, you know, why did I write it? How did I get there? And the answer, the short answer is, it's the book I wish to, I wish I would have had. I was starting out as a head of school. So I'm glad that that benefit was given to you, that it helped you in your transition, because I think that oftentimes leaders, would-be principals or soon-to-be don't fully appreciate the challenges of that transition between being an effective educator and being a school leader. And oftentimes, yes, we have steps in between. You might become an AP first or something else. But the reality is when all of that burden and that responsibility ultimately rests on your shoulders, it's a totally different type of interaction, a totally different type of experience. And so if you're not spending a lot of time really thinking through that leadership element, understanding what is your new role, you're no longer responsible primarily for the delivery of, of instruction, though, of course, we know the principals are one of the lead indicators of ultimately the success, the academic success of students. So there is a correlation between the two, but you're not doing it firsthand for the most part. You have other people doing that. Your job is to support them. Your job is to give them direction. And your job is to build relationships with them. And so the book is very what I call soft skills or tran- you know tra- transferable skills heavy. It's much more on those elements than on the technical aspects of it. You know, I don't even delve into whatsoever things like curriculum or how to do a walkthrough. Yes, I have expertise there, but that was not the purpose of this. The purpose of this was to help any leader, school leader or otherwise, be better at what they do so that everybody around them could be inspired and given proper direction. You know, just the way you put that is is so informative and meaningful because part of part of who I am, I always say I'm a teacher-centered leader. And that confuses people sometimes because how can a principal say that they're not student-centered? Well, I can't, like you said, the the success of students, there's there's that relationship with the principal of the building, but I can't directly impact students no matter how many times I meet with them or how many, you know, how many get-togethers I have or even how many classrooms I'm in, I'm in to the point that teachers can. And so if I can support teachers and engage teachers in what they're doing and, and let them live in that passion and move forward, I impact way more many, way more students than I could possibly if I were doing it alone. Yeah, I would, agree, I would agree with you. And again, it's, it's, it's not intuitive to suggest that a principal directly affects students because we don't interact with them nearly as much as the teachers do. But if you are, you know, there's a book that says, if you feed the teachers, they won't eat the students or something like that. That's, that's a minimalistic view because that's just sort of a, the bottom, I would say, of Maslow's hierarchy. That said, it's at least a starting point. And if you're empowering teachers, if you are present and you're visiting classrooms and providing feedback and these kinds of things, then whether it's the research of Bob Marzano or others, there's a lot of indicators that would say that you are having a meaningful impact on student performance directly. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk about becoming the new boss, being the book you wish you had. And I, I can't recommend that enough. And, and with, your, with your consulting that you do, because you did mention the eBooks, all of those are going to be linked up in the show notes because there's so much value that you offer with everything that you have going on that people really need to take some time and look through that because there's, there's something for everyone, I like to say. But your, so your new book, you write the first book because it's the book that you wish you had. And now your next book, The Productive Boss, how did that come up? 
So it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about how I write books before I talk about this specific <laughs> book. Many people will sit down and say, you know, I have a vision. I have, I have a book I want to write. Uh, I want it to be 30,000 pages. So if you're going to write a good smart goal, maybe you're going to say, for example, I'm going to write 500 words a day, X number of days, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of take your macro level, go break it down into pieces and, and begin your process. I oftentimes work differently because I find that when I try to write this, this big, if I have what, what Jim Collins would call a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, it oftentimes is overwhelming for me. So I approach it differently. I will take the components and I will do something smaller. And that smaller could either be an ebook, which is how this started, or it could be a series of blog posts, which is how my other book started. So I was, when I first transitioned out of my head of school position, I really wanted to make a name for myself in leadership. So I was writing a lot of leadership content, but there wasn't necessarily an underlying theme to all of that content. It just flowed, for lack of a better term. And I'm not quite sure that there was necessarily a vision to how it would all come together. But I, I, I wrote weekly and I wrote a lot. I developed a lot. This is before ChatGBT, so I actually had to write it myself and <laughs> accumulated all that content. And then I said to myself, you know, hey, I really should, I really should write a book, but not just write a book like a new project. I really should take all of my content and develop a book out of it. And because my content was colored so heavily, by my experience as a head of school and my experiences ending as a head of school and how things went sideways and all the lessons that I learned and having honest conversations with myself through my writing. So it's almost like it was a therapeutic element, but I was, I was using my writing as a way by which to reflect what I did well, what I didn't do well, et cetera. It naturally coalesced into becoming the new boss in the sense that all of this content, when organized in a systematic way, yes, there were gaps and I had to fill in those gaps, but for the most part, it created a skeleton, a meaty skeleton, so to speak, of a book that would help a new leader begin the process of understanding what leadership is about, pursuing the right kind of position, determining fit, hitting the ground running, and really trying to sustain success. Because a lot of people get promoted based on pre-existing talent, demonstration of capacity, but a lot of folks fall by the wayside. There's a lot of sacrifices in this field because of the fact that there isn't an abundance of training. And a lot of people have that, you know, hell by fire experience or training by fire. And so they don't always make it through. The turnover in the leadership space is quite high. So this book was designed to help people avoid the problems that I encountered so that they don't have as many bumps on the road. You get people behind you. You know, John Maxwell talks about this. If you have people behind you, even if they don't agree with the vision, They'll continue to support you and they'll help you to create a new vision. But if they love your vision and they don't support you, then they're going to want a new leader regardless. So it's not about being right. It's about being connected. And when you have that connection, the right will take care of itself over time. So that was book number one. You know, the productivity part, I think, had a lot to do with the kinds of clients I was working with, whether they were school leaders or others. Struggling with delegation, that's a huge one. Struggling with general time management, Productivity, they're not quite the same thing, but they're often viewed as two sides of the same coin, right? How do I manage my time? How do I identify what's really important? What do I prioritize? So using school leaders for an example, you want to be in classrooms every single day. That has to be priority number one. And how many school leaders do we know that hide behind their desks, rarely ever get out, 
have all sorts of excuses. I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate excuses as to why we need to be at our desks, but we get lost there. And we're so busy with, you know, documentation and meetings and emails and all this kind of stuff that we forget, why are we really there? We're there to make an influence, uh, you know, indirect but meaningful influence on the entire school building through our presence, through our connection, through our guidance, through our leadership, all of that. You cannot do that from your, from your principal's desk. You only can do that from being present in the hallways and in the classrooms. So understanding what are the most important tasks, leveraging the Pareto principle, right? The 80-20 rule. What are the 20% of, of the activities that will, that will produce that 80% result that we're looking for? Eating that frog, which is, you know, doing the hard things first in the morning, the one touch rule, et cetera, et cetera. And so as I'm working with people and helping them understand that you got to delegate more, well, I don't have the right person. Well, how do you find the right person? How do you train the right person, right? The situational leadership model. I know I'm throwing out a lot of ideas without a lot of detail and description, but the concept is we're all human beings. We're all busy people. doesn't matter if you're a school leader or if you're a corporate exec, you still have a lot on your plate. And I know school leaders are feeling burnt out more so than ever before, working harder than ever, feeling like they don't even have weekends or times away. I know you and I talked about your vacation leading up to this call, which is great and very necessary. But a lot of people are forgoing even those kinds of things because they feel they can't afford it. And so it became an obvious need. And so my goal was to fill that need. And one of the ways in which I filled it was to start to produce productivity content. And I created this ebook and the ebook was was in effect, I call it the productivity blueprint. I actually have the blueprint for free to, to download on my website, a self-assessment, productivity self-assessment on my website. And, and ultimately the ebook became five steps. So it's in effect, it's planning, sharing, doing, sustaining, and leading. So planning is, you know, if as Yogi Berra used to say, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, right? So you got to have a plan and the plan has to be one that's going to take you in the right direction, especially if it's something big and meaningful. You know, you want to, for example, not every, not every item on your list is just a, a small one-off. Sometimes you've got something bigger and more meaningful. You want to make a change within how the office is operating. You want to make a change within, you know, how the students view, you know, behavior and how teachers view it. We introduced PBIS. That's a big project. It's got a lot of people, a lot of moving parts, all that kind of stuff. So you need a plan. The next part is sharing. Sharing means you're communicating. You're, you're delegating. You're doing your morning huddles. You got your one-to-ones. You're making sure everybody knows what they need to know so that you're all, because this is not only designed for you. This is designed for you and the people around you. It's both. So it's helping busy leaders help themselves and their teams to get more done. So step two is only really relevant if you want, I mean, parts of it, I guess, would be relevant regardless, but delegation, for example. But some of the other ones, it's really helping everybody be more productive because if we're all getting more done, then it's less on me, you know, to get done. Step three is the actual doing, things like no multitasking and focusing on individual tasks and blocking your calendar, right? The kinds of things that, you know, we often have this to-do list and the to-do list can get, it could easily get the better of us. We don't know what to focus on. We don't know how much time it's going to take. We don't ever get to it because other stuff pops up. But when you calendar and you block it out and nobody could schedule over it, now you could actually work on getting those things done and doing it at the right time of day. Also very important. Step number four is sustaining, right? We're human beings. We, we don't, we don't run on, on fumes, right? Eventually. So we got to sharpen the saw. We've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to have a long-term plan for all of this. And then the last one is leading. And that kind of ties back into my first book, 
right? If you want people to be productive, you have to lead, you have to change the culture, you have to set, identify the values, you've got to understand how your people tick. And you have to understand how you tick and how kind of like those two come together. So that's obviously a very, very quick, fast overview of some of the elements in the book. And that's why I do things like my productivity accelerated because I walk people through each of the steps and each one is a separate session. We talk about them in greater detail. You know, I share resources and the intention is that people could actually practice and implement. And you know this as an educator, Chris. I would much rather, if we're going to have, let's say, for example, a 30-minute conversation, or I'm going to do an hour-plus training online, I'd much rather people come out with one or two actionable takeaways that they can commit to and will actually do on a consistent basis moving forward than to have them try to collect all of these nuggets that I'm dropping as I go and expect them to somehow work it all into their schedule and change all their habits and develop a whole new set of behaviors, it's so unrealistic and it's not healthy. And oftentimes we feel worse than had we not done it at all. So, and, and you know this, and you know it obviously in the classroom as well. Not all information was created equal. That was really hard for me. You know, I used to teach history and I'm like, how do I, how do I distill the important from the unimportant? And how do I say what's really critical over here? But you have to be able to do that because our students have finite capacities for, for retention finite capacities for engagement. So what are the most important things? I learned this actually in an education. I know I'm rambling a little bit, but this is, I think, an interesting idea from a principal's training from from many years ago. If you only had an hour a week to teach your subject to your students, what would you teach and what would you leave behind? And that often could be super powerful for teachers and for principals because, again, Look, if I had an honest conversation with you and I asked you, what do you remember from fourth grade? Right? What do you even remember from 12th grade? The likelihood is almost nothing. We usually remember how we feel. We remember the teachers that made a difference in our lives from a relationship standpoint, believed in us, all that kind of stuff. But actual content, basically zero. You know, when I, when I, when I studied for my doctorate, I had to take the GREs. I went back on Khan Academy and I'm like relearning seventh grade math. I know it sounds pathetic. But that was my reality because I hadn't used that stuff in decades. So now we want to remember what's really important. And the goal of this book, because there's five steps, because it lays it out, it makes it easier to frame the different pieces. And I'll take something from here and something from here. And then this way, you could start the process of increasing your productivity because your habits are better, your thought processes are clearer, and you can leverage your people in a smarter way. You just said so much. I, I hope I people had their notebook out. I, you just gave I an accelerator bad. class. No, it's all, that's right. You, yeah, I, I mean, you just said so much that's so valuable. And one of the one of the things that really stuck out to me before I go back to when you started. One, I love the five steps because they give you a map and they really lean into the idea of it's not just about taking one or two things away. It's about taking one or two things away that you can implement on a consistent basis. You know, I, I, I've i been to so many trainings where I sit there and if I'm not going, oh, good Lord, you know, how much longer does this go on? If I can just take one or two things with me. But then because of that type of training and because I slip into that mindset, I, I don't implement them. And and if I do, I don't do it consistently. So so pretty much that training becomes useless I because I, I don't better myself from it. And that's the whole point of training. 
So the idea that you really leaned into that with consistently implement, don't just get the couple things, get things that you can do. I I also wanted to thank you for just being vulnerable vulnerable about the first book and how where you were in life at that point was kind of going sideways. So it was almost a way to help others. But you said you said some important things before you went into into your current book. You talked about people getting hired on previous successes, pre-existing accomplishments, and how important it is to be able to sustain success, not just get into that position based on what you've done, but grow from there and do better as you move forward and continue to improve yourself. And the idea that there's a lot of turnover in this profession, whether people call it burnout, you label it sacrifice, I believe, where people do just get left by the side. And it's it's unfortunate because if we're in the in the business, so to speak, of education, it, it's our job to bring people along and support them and teach them and and help them grow. And and unfortunately, sometimes there's a gap with that. So thank you for all of that. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. To your second point, where you talked about your newest book, the idea of planning and putting it together, right? We have initiatives. If, if you don't mind, if we could just step through each thing and just, just a couple minutes on, on each one, planning putting it together. So often we get our to-do lists, we get an idea of initiative, and we we do want to leap before we're 100% prepared because if we wait for that, we're never going to do it. 100%. But how do, how do we go about that in a school environment where oftentimes there is red tape, there are contractual issues, there's the union, there's what's always been. How do, how do we effectively do that? Yeah, so it'll be difficult for me to speak through the red tape issues without without knowing a specific example to unpack. I, I think I think the let's let's use that PBIS example that I mentioned before. So the context of that was kind of interesting. It actually worked well for me because it was a confluence of two things. Number one, I had been learning about PBIS, which is for those not familiar, it's a positive behavior based program that focuses on core values as the foundation of what we look for in student comportment, student behavior, rather than just a list of do's and don'ts. Um, and simultaneous to learning about it, I was getting complaints from teachers about how some of our students, particularly in our middle school, were behaving. And so there was an inner, I was tapping into an existing interest 
while simultaneously bringing forth new content that I had learned. Now, had I just learned it and been aware of it, I may not have done anything with it. There was enough new initiatives that I had, that I had, you know, initiated over, over my time. And so there's only so much change you want to, to introduce, especially schools I find in general are not great places for just acceptance of change. You know, a lot of people are very much accustomed to the way things have been. Oftentimes in the mindset of our teachers, we develop our curricula. We don't really want to be redeveloping it that often. So we want to kind of like set it and, and, and forget it and just do what we do best, which is, which is to teach. And I understand that the planning is not the enjoyable part. It's the actual delivery of content. It's the engagement. So in that particular situation, not every teacher was on board, but I did create a committee and I followed, there was a particular book that I used. I don't remember the title offhand. I don't have it. I have a lot of books on top of me here, my, my desk, but I, I don't see it at the moment. Anyway, it was a book that I used that helped sort of map out the way we could approach this, where we integrate the change within our school. It included administrators. It included some teachers from different age ranges and different, different disciplines and whatnot. And that became more of the roll up your sweet, roll up your sleeves and do the heavy lifting committee. And yet we still had all teachers contribute. And we did that through full faculty meetings. And we did sort of like this in and out of committee dance where we weren't going to ask all the teachers for all of the input because obviously too many cooks spoil the soup and you just don't want that many voices. On the other hand, we recognized if we didn't involve everybody on some level, it would not see the light of day. Or if it did, it would feel forced and people wouldn't be on board. So the goal was to make sure everybody felt like they had contributed something while not having so many voices so as to derail us from what we really needed to accomplish. And so coming back to, to the question, you know, of planning and, and you know, I, I, I think I try to, I try to find opportunities for easy wins. Things like we had funding and could we improve the grounds? Could we increase security? Could we do direct deposit of our checks? Those were all easy wins. I didn't have to work very hard for those. And all those were perceived as the new guy came in and made my life a little bit better, right? So that was an automatic benefit for me. When you want to do something that actually requires other people to do something different, so you have to understand what is the best approach. In that case, we used a committee approach and we try to make it fun and we introduced it to the students. The goal was to make lives better for the teachers because they we all had this big system we could all tap into now. And now we could reward for good behavior rather than just focusing on the kid who threw the trash on the floor or the kid who, you know, disrupted class or didn't come prepared or things like that. We tend to be more reactive and punitive rather than proactive and rewarding. That was one example. But if you want to do something different, like for example, we introduced Madeline Hunter's walkthrough method as opposed to the, you know, the, the twice a year Almighty sit down classroom observation, which gives you very little useful data and, and really not a very balanced perspective on what's really going on in a classroom. I wanted the regular touch points through the walkthrough. There's another thing I was learning about and that we decided to roll out very softly, you know, like just beginning with the process of leaving a note of, I noticed that you did this and this was the benefit of that, which by the way, I think is very helpful, even for teachers, right? We want our students to know that when you sit up, and when you have your pen out and when you're, you're taking notes and you're actively participating, you will remember more or class will function better or whatever the benefit is. Let them know the benefit behind what you're praising. And we did that with our teachers too. 
But over time, we'd grab a few teachers who were very secure and confident and the kind of people who still wanted to grow. And we used them as our guinea pigs. And uh, we, we tested it out. And then they started to spread the word with their colleagues. And we started to talk about it and say, this is what we're doing now. So we incrementally introduced these ideas in the school to the point where this was the method that the entire administrative team was using for the balance of my time at the school. And that helped improve instruction because we were collecting data. People were getting specific feedback. We were having real conversations and they weren't a twice a year, you know, here's what I saw, my list of complaints, my list of observations, my list of praises, but it was a real growth process. And that was a, that was a real change for teachers. That's about as big of a change as you're going to, you're going to look at. And I think for the most part is relatively seamless once we got into it. Awesome. And you, you talked about, you know, just the planning, but it's, it's interesting how this system that you've got, the plan, share, do, sustain, lead, really bleeds into itself because you automatically went into the communication piece and how you communicated or the importance of communicating, you know, why you were saying things or why things they were doing were important. When you get into doing, so communication, I think everyone can agree that communication is key. Oftentimes, even in the, the worst situations, as long as there's constant, clear communication, letting people know what's going on and why, it lessens it to a degree or gives, gives leaders the opportunity to step back and actually um, fix the problem, the real problem, not just put Band-Aids on it and hope that, you know, you get through that bumpy road. But are there any things that the share piece, any nuggets that you would want to share about that? So I think, well, so first of all, delegation is something I mentioned before. You don't typically delegate so much to teachers, but I think if school leaders are listening to this conversation, delegation is a critical piece that they can then focus on what's really important for them. So if you think about the four quadrants, you're probably familiar with Stephen Covey, the urgent and important matrix. Delegation is the bottom left quadrant. It's called do, defer, delegate, delete, the four Ds. So the bottom left quadrant, those are typically the not so important things that don't necessarily need your direct involvement. They do need to get done. Scheduling meetings, responding to emails, whatever. You could typically hire somebody or train somebody to do a lot of those things. That allows you to do more of the second quadrant, even though it's called defer, which I don't love because that sounds like you're just kicking a can down the road. The reality is those are the visionary strategic most important things that you typically aren't going to call them urgent, but you know that that's ultimately going to guide the direction of the school moving forward. You also have the do, which is urgent and important, like the fire drill or teachers not in the building or there's a weather issue or whatever, safety issue. You know, so you've got a balance of all of that. Communication separate from that, I would say, is really making time to get to know your people. Building equity is a huge piece. I actually just posted on social media this morning about the benefits of doing that. I, I think back to a lot of what I, what I believe in leadership. I've heard in one form or another from Rick Lavoie. And Rick, of course, was an expert in special education, uh, is an expert in special education, but, but independent of that, he's also somebody who just had good common sense. And, you know, you talk about kids, for example, who struggle with learning and maybe they're socially awkward. So they don't have a lot of chips, if you can use a poker analogy. So they protect every chip that they have. If you're developing relationships, if you're building equity, if you're depositing a lot 
in a savings account or giving them a lot of chips, whatever your analogy is, I'm talking now with your teachers, but it could be with anyone you interact with. Then what happens is even when you need to make a withdrawal, because you have to criticize, you have to encourage something different, you have to do something that's perceived to be uncomfortable or unpleasant. There's so much equity built into that relationship. You can make a withdrawal and it'll still be green. It will be, you know, you won't be in red. You won't be in any kind of, you know, overdrawn situation. But if you're not making those investments and then you come in with a criticism, trust me, that stings. So a lot of the communication is just a way of saying, you're important to me. I want to keep you in the loop. You know, I want to connect with you better. I want to know what's going on in your personal life. And while schools may not be a great place to do this because there's so many teachers and staff, you know, morning huddles, maybe for an office staff is another element of that chapter, which could be really valuable because a morning huddle is a place where we can say, what are you working on? Where are you struggling? How can I help you? What are your wins? You know, it just keeps everybody connected on a daily basis rather than, and this is why do is so important because we want to dive in and we want to do we want to question, do we do the right work? So if we take a little bit of time before we plan, we communicate, we recalibrate, now everybody gets to work. That work is more focused. That work is more productive. It's more results-oriented, and it produces better outcomes than if we just jumped in and started working because we feel that busyness is the path. And I tell people all the time, busyness is not productivity. Busyness is just keeping yourself working at things. You know, but that's not the goal. You know, there's somebody who I see a lot. He's in education, actually. And I, and I, I, I joke with him about it. I say, how are you? He says, busy, as if he's wearing this badge of honor. I'm like, that's not the goal, right? I don't want to be busy. I want to be, I want to be impactful, you know, pardon the pun, but I want to be impactful. And how do I make an impact? It's through leverage. It's through getting more people doing the right things. And if my leadership is providing that guidance, even if I'm not doing all that much, I know that I'm positioning many more people to do good work around me and the results will speak for themselves. That's fantastic. And and just like you said, more people being impactful, leveraging, all leads to that sustaining piece and sustaining initiatives. I mean, how many initiatives do we have in education that are the hot thing for the year, for maybe the second year, and then they just join that pile of, hey, remember we tried this before? Remember we did this before? Yep. And, you know, it it almost becomes a full circle because these new initiatives, some good, some not so good, admittedly, but either way, they're not sustained. So that's, I, I love that you touch on that in the book because that's such an important piece to all of this, which that's directly tied to the leadership piece, I would think. So Do you mind talking to us about how those two are tied together, those last two pieces of sustain and lead as you go through with this? Sure. So the book presents it from a slightly different angle because it's more about productivity there. So I talk about things like self-care, you know, sharpening the saw. Obviously, you you know, oftentimes school, I know for myself, I did a terrible job at self-care when I was running a school and I was working long hours and I did not prioritize nutrition. I certainly did not prioritize exercise. These are all things that are very important to me now that weren't as important then. You know, I was younger and maybe I felt I can get away with it. But the reality is it takes a toll. When you talk about sustaining initiatives, that's a little bit of a different angle. And what I used to do as a head of schools, I would make annual themes. So for example, let's say I wanted an increase of cooperative learning within the building. 
we would do a back to school training on cooperative learning. And then at every faculty meeting, I would utilize a cooperative learning technique as a way of getting my teachers to talk about whatever the subject matter was of the meeting. And as an aside, I moved away from a meeting of here's my agenda, walking through bullet point A, B, C, D, try to use memos to share information and try to use meetings to discuss issues. And that was a huge paradigm shift for me. So in doing that, if I could model the instructional piece as I'm helping people to discuss issues, I thought it was a a double win, so to speak. And this way, it kept the topic alive. And I was a big believer in revisiting it. Obviously, every year, you're going to focus on some other way by which to help teachers be better at what they do, but you don't want to lose sight over things you've learned in the past. Otherwise, they will not grow. But the other part, like going back to before, sustaining, leading, it's all about having a vision, playing the long game, right? If you try to, if you try to solve every problem in the first 90 days of your, of your tenure, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because number one, it's going to be overwhelming. Number two, people are going to resent and resist. And eventually you're going to lose momentum. And then we'll feel like you've got, you know, for every step forward, you've got to take two steps back and recalibrate and fix things. And that was a lot of what I experienced going through it. But if you recognize that, and and by the way, this is an important piece too. You have to be able to manage expectations. So if you answer to a board or if you answer to anyone that ultimately determines the fate of your, of your employment, they need to know what are you working on? How long do you think realistically it's going to take? What challenges do you anticipate? Where do they, where, where on the proverbial water cooler, you know, ear to the ground, are they going to hear grapevine? Are they going to hear these problems? You know, teachers are going to start to chirp or, Others are going to start to complain, expect it so that at least they're, you know, because if, if they just hear it out of nowhere, they're going to all of a sudden be shocked and not know how to react. So you're managing expectations and then you play the long game. You understand what leadership is all about. And then you can genuinely go after change and go after the goals in a systemic way that can, in fact, be sustained over time. Absolutely fantastic. And that sustainability piece that you're talking about where it's about sharpening your saw, it's about taking care of yourself, to me anyways, personally, underlies this whole system. Because if you're not doing that, you know, and, and, and it's, it's way overused, but, you know, on an airline, if the air mask drops down, you're supposed to put it on yourself first before you put it on anybody else because you're no good to anybody if you're not able to help. That just... Without that, I guess it's a simple way to put it. There's, there's nothing else that can happen. This can't happen to an effective level on a consistent basis. Any of these steps, if you're not taking care of yourself. And I, I think at least it's happened to me. I don't want to speak for people I don't know out there, but I would assume there's not a school leader out there who hasn't at some point, you know, it's three o'clock, three thirty in the afternoon and you're looking at your computer and you just can't think of what the next step is, unless you have a plan, unless you've planned it out and you're not planning it out if you're not taking care of yourself because that's part of it. So I think that's fantastic advice around the sustaining piece. Yeah, and one last point there is that you do need to take breaks and you have to be willing to say, I'm not a machine. And by the way, I am listening to a book by Daniel Pink called When, and one of the arguments that he makes is that we're not, we're not consistently good at what we do all throughout the day. Right. We have things like decision fatigue. There are times of day when we just get tired or our capacity to think becomes murkier. And so we have to be honest with ourselves. Our circadian rhythms matter. 
other other things contribute. And you might just need to say, you know, this is important. I don't want to rush through this. I'll revisit it tomorrow. Or let me take a 20 minute quick walk around campus and then I'll come back and then I'll deal with it. And so we, we, by understanding the limitations of our physiology and our humanity, we ultimately do a better job. That is such a good book by Daniel Pink. I, I read that, I think probably about a year and a half ago now that was just absolutely fantastic. Just a different way to look at things and say, Hey, yeah, that's why. I need to go do my walkthroughs. I have my walkthroughs in my calendar so that I make sure I do them and I have them in two separate time frames during the day. And one of them is right after lunch because right after lunch is death for me. Where if I if I have a lunch because I know I make sure that I sit and have a lunch, after that, it is just really easy for me to kind of sit and zone out. So I get up and walk around and I didn't do that before until I read um, When by Daniel Pink. Yeah, it's a great book. So. We've talked quite a bit about the book that you've got out. I, like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link it up. It, it, and I'm sure because I read the first one that it's a fantastic read and that it's not just a fantastic read, but it's an incredibly helpful tool that'll be revisited by people because that's, that's what the first book was to me. I do ask two questions of everybody that comes on the podcast. So as we wrap up, I just want to hit these two questions so that people can hear your, your thoughts on these. I, I consider you still be in education because you're consulting and you're, you're helping people improve themselves and you're teaching. If you weren't an educator, who, not what would you be? So it's interesting. I actually, I think I've crossed into this space already and that is a coach. And oftentimes people ask me, how did you get into coaching? I see it really as a direct outgrowth of my work in education. The difference is in education, you're telling people for the most part, whereas in coaching, you're extracting the ideas and the and the and the wisdom, the experience that they already have. That's a great comparison of how we actually approach different things in different areas. The idea of extracting rather than telling is so much more powerful when people come to that realization on their own. It is. And they also are much more committed to do something about it. Yes. So the last question, what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve? I'd like to say I've touched on some of this already. I think if you're new, you want to start slow. You definitely want to be building equity, spend a lot of time on relationships. Because again, when the relationships are strong, there's an openness, there's a receptivity. All the wisdom can pour forth after that. But if people feel that you're just there to stuff wisdom down their throat that they haven't solicited, they're not going to be open to it. And therefore, it really doesn't matter. That is absolutely fantastic advice. And I just have to tell the people listening to this that I'm sure there's more advice just like that in your book. So they should check out your website that I'm going to link up. And, you know, look, Naftali, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast today. You've, you've said some fantastic things, given a lot of people um, great advice that I hope they pick up and follow with you for more. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute delight talking with you, Chris. And I'm sure you and your teachers and your students are going to have a fantastic year coming up. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com 
or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com, where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.